Hey, Juan, who do you hope is listening to this podcast episode? Mostly the people that have struggled through trauma in the past and feel like they've been alone just to let them know that they're not in it alone. Welcome to the Tyler Loops Out of the Loop podcast. I'm your host, Jane Neal. And it probably made you afraid of dogs. <laughs> oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> Sir, I heard you say grassy ass. Tyler will always be my home. Let's begin. My guest today is Haywan Knight. Originally from Ethiopia, Haywan has lived in Tyler for almost 10 years. She will be a freshman this fall at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida. Haywan garnered national attention when she took a stand against wearing the name Robert E. Lee on her athletic jersey in high school. She likes to eat at Fresh by Brookshire's. Haywan, welcome to Out of the Loop Podcast. Thank you. Let's take a listen to your story told in season three of Out of the Loop in July of 2020. Listeners, please be advised this story contains a scene of gun violence. Hello, my name is Haywan Knight. It was my eighth grade year, Hubbard Middle School, 2017. My first time to be at a public school after being at Good Shepherd for two years. The night before, I tried on my clothes, feeling excited, and then hung it back up. That morning, I arrived at school early in the morning to find my classes. But a few days in, something was not right. Something didn't add up. I still hadn't found a a group to sit with yet. There were the theater kids, choir kids, track and cross country kids. The Hubbard Middle School was pretty segregated between blacks, browns, and white kids. I was invited to sit with a couple of these groups. One group was all black girls, either in track or volleyball. The white girls were either in basketball or volleyball. At times, they would ask me, why aren't you sitting with us today? So I felt like I had to choose sides. Later, more explicit comments were made. You act so white. Your backpack is so white. The white girls weren't as direct with their words. My hair wasn't straight like theirs. I had different colored skin. Like most eighth graders, I was very self-conscious. I didn't fit in. Normal, right? Everybody feels that way in middle school. But what you need to know is my feeling of differentness is tenfold because of how I came to live in Tyler, Texas. I was born in a brick house in a small village named Chellicott, Ethiopia. I had three brothers and countless cousins. Until the age of six, my mo- I was my mom's assistant at her general store that she had owned. I remember her selling green bar soaps, lollipops, plastics, shoes, cookies, and orange Fanta. I was my mom's only daughter, and we had a special connection. Everything changed my Sorry. Everything changed the day my mom was killed by my dad. remember all the hours in detail. I heard every gunshot as I laid in bed between my brothers. I stayed completely still. Several months had passed. My grandmother took me and two of my brothers in a taxi to a 
to a town named Mekale. We stopped at a building named Bono where kids were kept waiting for adoption. It would be my new home for the next six months. Then after that, we moved to Addis Ababa, the capital, and to a much larger foster care named Gladney. We stayed there for about a year and a half. My adoptive parents, Lori and Josh, were looking for a child to adopt. They had already adopted Mezikur, adding to their three biological kids. A man named Balai brought papers to mom and dad and told them that he had found a match for them. Then they looked and saw that it was three kids. It was not what they expected, and they were really shocked. It was not part of their plan. But they decided to adopt all three of us, and that's how we came to live in Tyler. Two and a half years later, my brother Haftu joined us, making us a family of 10. What's my life like now? You're my second favorite mom. Those are the words I wrote on my mom's birthday card. I didn't mean to hurt her feelings. I know she understood, so here's why I wrote them. I miss my real mom. Holidays, birthdays, and special events can be really sad for me. The night before my birthday can be a sleepless one. I wish she could be here with me. It's okay to miss your parents. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay not to be cheery all the time. No matter how great the day is, it could be better. Because I look different, people ask questions. Why are, what are you? What are you mixed with? What brought you to America? Aren't you, aren't you lucky you got to come to America? I know, I know their questions are mostly innocent and curious, but what, why do they need to know that? What difference would it make in how they treat or perceive me? I think twice now before I ask those same questions to other people. This story is for anyone who's gone through adoption, who's lost a loved one, had their lives turned upside down. My eighth grade year caused me pain, but for some, being black or brown cost them their life. I am telling you this story one month after the death of George Floyd I have joined protests, speaking out against my high school, Robert E. Lee, and refusing to wear that name on my athletic jersey. My skin and hair are a tiny part of who I am. My life, what happened to me, who I've loved and who, I've, who, who has loved me, those belong to me, and tonight I'm sharing it with you. What a story. There's a beautiful scene in your story, Heywan, where you recall the items in your mom's shop. I feel like I can visualize it. The soap, the flip-flops, the orange Fanta, and lollipops. Tell us what other memories you have from early childhood in Chalakot, Ethiopia. Like the streets of Ethiopia, basically, with so many kids everywhere. You could see poor areas, richer areas, and then most of the other memories that I have is just like traditional or cultural holidays where everybody gets together, like the whole village comes together, cooks and eats and dances, and yeah, that's about all that I can remember. 
Your story touches on a time you and your siblings were in foster homes for about two years before you were adopted. Your siblings are such a large part of your story. I get the impression there's a bond you share because you've experienced things together that no one around you has. So what's your relation like with your siblings now? Mostly, we're all very close. But Ty, my youngest brother, has recently moved to Shreveport, which kind of makes keeping a relationship a little bit harder. But me, Nick, and Hoftu are pretty tight. Like, we talk all the time. We try to see each other as much as possible. And if one of us is struggling, that's who we go to. I feel like there's a closer bond between us because of the trauma that we've gone through together to the point where if I'm having a problem, the first person I go to is really Nick. And he kind of just tells me everything and makes me feel better. But most of all, all of us kind of just rely on each other. Not to say that we don't go to other family members. If Nick came up to me and started crying, I can I can tell what he's crying about. If he's crying about the trauma from the past, I don't even have to, I don't tell him anything. I just, I just hug him, be there for him. And that's what he does for me. I try to talk about it. I, since going to school, people ask me, oh my gosh, where are you from? And blah, blah, blah. And it comes up in conversations and I'm like, oh, I'm from Texas, but I lived in Ethiopia for nine years. I mean, for, yeah, about nine, eight, nine years. And so people are like, what brought you to America? And so the story kind of comes up and it Mm. comes up into the conversation. And used to, I would have... Like I said in the story, I would have had I was there's like a hesitation of do I tell this person or why do they need to know this? Why are they asking me this? Why is it their business? Yeah. But now I am a little bit more open to telling people because I think it's like I said before, I think it helps me deal with the trauma, like talking about it more makes me feel like I'm working through it and not forgetting what I've been through because I think it's important to remember. You were very honest with everyone when you told us you miss your real mom, someone who can't be replaced, no matter how much your adoptive family loves and supports you. You mentioned how hard certain dates are, especially birthdays and holidays. How has that changed since you talked about it a couple of years ago? And how do you now honor those feelings of grief when they come up? Most holidays, I feel like I try to keep in mind the fact that she would have wanted me to do this. She would have wanted me to do that. And I wake up. I think about her, obviously. And then I just take a minute to myself and then I walk out the door and I'm like my usual self. I go through those days, have as much fun as possible. And as much I try to involve myself as much as possible, try to engage to people the morning of And then right before I go to bed, yeah, I think about her. And then I just process everything. And I don't cry or anything. I just take a minute to just think, which is good. And sometimes I'll write stuff down in my journal. But that's about it. What do you wish your Born in America friends and peers knew or understood that they just haven't? There's a lot of stereotypes when it comes to being like coming from Africa. All the stereotypes about Africa, not having enough water or food or a house. And I feel like people need to just do a little bit more research on each country and just really look dive deep into what actually is there. And because I feel like the stereotypes really, if you think about it, it can be very hurtful because you're just like, why are you trying to 
just assume instead of just picking up your phone and just looking it up? Or why are you asking that to a person that you don't know their full story? So people just don't think that is as as offensive as it actually is. And then when it comes to culture, that's a hard topic because I have talked to people from different places, not just Tyler. I try to explain the culture and it's all just judgmental. I've showed my friends like some Ethiopian food dishes that like cultural Ethiopian food and the they just come back with ew that looks weird or that's gross or just some unnecessary comments and I'm just like that's that looks gross or unusual to you but that's like my culture or was my culture and it's just like just respect could be it couldn't go a long way respect can yeah. go a long way <laughs> yeah <laughs> So identity-wise, where do you put yourself now? Do you feel completely at home in both cultures? Not quite. I have gone back to Ethiopia several times since I've been adopted. And every time I'm there, I feel like I look like them. I don't dress like them, though. I don't. Like, you look like them, but you don't look like them. And you fit in, but you really don't fit in. Because you're wearing this or you're wearing that or your hair looks different. There's a lot that goes into fully being in a different place where you're from. It's very complicated. But I will walk down the streets of Ethiopia and people will look at me because I'm with my family and they're white. And I, in a weird way, I feel just as white. I can't speak the language. And I try to say things there that it's just the pronunciation is way off or I just try to communicate with my hands or make some gestures. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. And then I get those like, uh, what is wrong with her? Or like, she's not from here. Right. And then it's just like, oh. but it doesn't make me feel bad or it just makes me feel out of place. Yeah. But here in America, I feel like I fit in mostly. It depends. I don't feel like I fit in, but I feel like, I feel like I'm the only person that thinks that I don't fit in, but I feel like other people around me think that I fit in. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's very complicated. There's another story that was literally churning the night before you were scheduled to come in and record your story. Do you remember what was going on and would you be open to talking about it? During the time of George Floyd's death, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations about a lot of different things, police brutality. BLM, just so many things that are just everywhere. People have their opinions. I have mine. And so one of those nights, I had a group of friends going through DMs, or I was on Snapchat or on Instagram, and a group of all of my friends were talking about the most terrible things, saying racist things, saying Black people are not educated. I opened my phone and looked at the messages and I just broke down. I literally just broke down and I was like, I was like, I thought these were my friends. I don't know what's going on. How do I react to this? How do I know that I've read those text messages and still maintain relationships with these people? It's very hard because deep down, I want to still talk to them. I still want to I still want to be in that group because it's like that's all my like, I don't know. I just can't not have friends but at the same time those are not my friends a few of the guys after they've been exposed after everything had leaked that night 
a few of the guys from the group chat had texted me and was like, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean it in that way. Like I was just talking and I took a minute and I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to respond to this. This is ridiculous. There's no reason that anybody should be talking about any other people in that way. That's just terrible. That's just awful. And so looking back at that now, I have forgiven all of the people after they've reached out. I took about a month or two to respond and I really just processed it. And I was like, you know what, this I feel like this could be a really like a learning moment for most of these kids. Because you're most of these kids, I feel like, have been put in this place where it's generational, like all the things that they've learned and what they accept as right or wrong is because of their parents and their grandparents. And it's just the generation just keeps adding up. And I feel like I could be part of something that I could be part of a change, like giving them a different look of what their words have, how they their words can affect other people. And so I forgave them and I was like, I really hope that you can really learn from what you did. It puts some weight on me when I just don't forgive people because I'm just that type of person. So I forgave them and slowly started to become friends with them again. And I feel a little bit of guilt for being friends with them. I really do. But I've come to terms of just accepting where everything is and how Ah. everything turned out. I feel like you really have to have compassion for people they don't know better. They know better, but you could help them look at a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's such a tough spot to <laughs> it be It really in. is. And I was just like, the only thing I can really do is give myself time to think about what I want to do. And then after that, kind of plan out on how my next steps are going to look like. Yeah. But, it was a very adult lesson to yeah, learn. Yeah, it really is. Did not think I was going to be experiencing that before college, but, you know, at least we got it out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it may be the first of a few times like that. Yeah, and I I don't, I've come to terms with it. Like, you know, I don't, I've kind of accepted the fact that that might happen again. Yeah. And it's just, there's nothing I can do about it other than react in the best mm-hmm. way that I can. Is there anything else important that hasn't come up yet that you want to address? Okay, so I think it was I think it was 2 years ago that my I found out that my birth dad got out of prison and uh-huh. I came my mom was telling me about it and she was like, "Oh yeah, like your family needed money." And so my grandmother had signed the papers to let him out. And that was just a really hard time for me because it was like I, I never want to go there again, obviously, because I just don't feel safe. I feel like he might just pop out of nowhere, like just in the streets. But at the same time, I want to go back just maybe because I might see him again. Yeah. It's just, it's a, I want two things, but I can't make up my mind on what I want because it's, I don't want to see him ever again, obviously, because he's just, that's just too much for me. But at the same time, I want to see him just to just scream or like, I don't I don't know. I can't even explain why. But deep down, I, I feel like I want to because it might help me just, I don't know, in some, in, in I don't know way. in what way, but in some way, I feel like it might help. What was it like telling your story and seeing that aired and getting comments back? It was really nice. 
it really helped me work through my story, like work through what I've gone in the past, because it's so hard to talk about things that you've gone through. And it's but the more you talk about it, the more people know your background, the less people ask and the more conversation, like the less conversation that that comes up because they've already read your story. And it's like really nice because I don't have to try to explain myself or break down in the middle of a conversation. And it's just it really has helped me because it's they've they already know. It's a lot better for me because I don't have to keep talking about it <laughs> or go into full detail uh-huh. because it's all written down. School, I met this really, really cool girl. And we connected so fast. It was insane. We're like the same people. And like our interests are the same. Everything is just she's amazing. And she started talking to me about my background and stuff like that. We had started talking about a little bit deeper family issues of hers and mine. So we just started talking about not just service level conversation. And I told her about my interview when I got back. And I was like, yeah, I have an interview. And she was like, what is it? What is the interview for? And I was like, oh, I did a storytelling for um, it's only a Tyler thing. But we, I did a story a few years ago and I'm getting interviewed for it. And then she was like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. What was the story about? And I was like, oh. And so I just sent her the link and I was like, this is gets everything out of the way because I don't have to talk about it. And it's just, you know, she read it and then responded back. And I was like, it was, it was so nice. Oh, great. Yeah. Hey, Juan, your story is very special to me. And thank it's so you. important. I honestly that. would not have done this without you. So thank you. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And you brought it. So it's a joy to be back with you. Thanks for sharing with us. Of course. The Out of the Loop podcast was recorded at the Innovation Pipeline in downtown Tyler with technical support from Neil Katz and Leah Wansley. Music is provided by the Tyler, Texas duo Gypsum and the Travelers. Out of the Loop is a production of the Tyler Loop, a nonprofit news and culture magazine and storytelling platform for Tyler and East Texas. We run on memberships from informed, engaged residents like you who value in depth, inclusive reporting. Check us out at thetylerloop.com. <laughs> <laughs>